You're listening to the It's Her Time podcast with Cody and Jess. Hi, welcome back to the It's Her Time podcast. My name is Cody Sanders, and I'm a holistic health practitioner and functional nutritionist and the host of this show. And I love having episodes where we can talk about everything that has to do with our health and our happiness. And on today's episode, this is kind of an episode that's a follow-up to an episode that I did a little over a year ago with Candace Barley. I'll link it in the show notes. In that episode, we talked about breast implant illness, which was something that I had been dealing with for 19 years and was unaware of it for the 18 years before I had surgery. I did a year ago, exactly right now, had my implants removed. And I have had so many of you women writing into me, asking for an update on how I'm doing, how the surgery went, how I'm feeling afterwards. And I have referred you to the doctor that I consulted with. He was not my surgeon. Um, He lived in Texas. I live in Utah, but he is the expert on breast implant illness. He is the one that is putting out the education for patients like me to understand exactly what breast implant illness is and how it is affecting our body and what to ask a surgeon and also what the proper process of surgery should look like. Um, There are specific things that we want to do if you are having um, breast implant illness symptoms um, to prepare yourself for surgery, as well as set yourself up for success during surgery and then as recovery um, then follows for the next year. And he has all of that in place. He takes a holistic approach um, to everything. And I've really appreciated his knowledge. And that's why I feel so comfortable with sharing his information, his contact information with so many many of you that have reached out. And now today, I'm just so excited to have him on here so that you can meet him himself. He is a wealth of knowledge. Um, he's so knowledgeable. He gets to dive deep into everything today, um, as well as just, you know, helping us to be able able to better understand maybe some of the things that we're dealing with. Now, before we begin all of this, let me just quickly, if you're not familiar with what breast implant illness is, um, I was experiencing symptoms that were very similar to things like autoimmune issues. So I was experiencing things like chronic fatigue, brain fog. Um, I was dealing with restless leg syndrome. I was dealing with chronic migraines. Um, The list goes on, ringing in my ears. There were so many symptoms that I was dealing with. And um, even as a health practitioner, I was doing everything I could to address what I thought the root cause was and never connected the dots that it was connected to the implants. I had had these implants in my body for so long that I think I almost forgot that they were in there. So even if you are somebody that is knowledgeable about health, you might also be like me and be somebody that is not putting two and two together, that some of these symptoms could be um, traced back to when you had the implants put in in the first place. So this episode is not to place any judgment on those of you that have decided that getting breast implants is the right thing for you. My goal in this episode is to help you understand um, what it could be doing to your body so that you are educated and so that you can make the best decision for you and your health. I can tell you, and I will talk about this more in the episode, that I feel like getting my breast implants removed has been the best decision that I could have ever made for my health. And I feel a tremendous difference and improvement. So I'm excited to get into all of this with you and with Dr. Whitfield, Dr. Rob, we like to call him. But before we do that, let's join Jess for a Mixers Girls Say. Today for Mixers Girls Say, we're going to, it's like past holidays. Yes. We're, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. 2024. Yes. Whoa. That's crazy. crazy. Right? Yeah. We're going <laughs> to go through the worst gifts some of you yes. have ever been given. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. I know. I'm so sorry. But they're funny. Um. Okay. A bracelet that I had gifted my mother-in-law <laughs> the year before. She regifted it right back to me. How kind of her. <laughs> she knew you she loved it so much. She just thought you loved it yeah. so much. <laughs> she knew that, that it must she... be what you would have given to her. So she thought you yeah. would love it too. Yes. That's probably what happened. Mm-hmm. A clothes iron for my 18th birthday. <laughs> Very responsible. <laughs> People were trying to tell you that you Move were wrinkly. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing your laundry anymore. You're an adult child. So, (laughs) oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Multiple bags of opened candy and DVDs that were already watched. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> at least like open the candy bag and dump the candy. Yes. I don't have like let's the bag. help you with that because you could make the stuff. Yeah, really you could you could do you could do some regifting a little better. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, a used Cafe Rio gift card with only three dollars on it. <laughs> You could get You're some like, chips. Oh my gosh, I'm so pumped. I'm going to go eat a Cafe Rio and get a free meal. Your angel number. Um, that's funny. Then you have to pay for your meal. Oh. You've got some chips maybe or some a side of salsa. Ooh, waist trainer. Because my mother-in-law <laughs> said that my stomach is getting too big. Oh my gosh. <laughs> May she rest in peace. I hope so. Oh, I have an experience postpartum with a baby that I will never forget someone oh, oh. doing to me and being like, mm. I know you right? don't, it is, you don't say anything. No, go no zone. If you think somebody's <laughs> pregnant, don't say it. Cause they might not be. If they've just had a baby, you don't talk about their waist. No, no, I don't care. No matter what age or stage of life you're in, you just don't bring it up. No, not a good gift. Um, <clears throat> it's the worst. The good girl's guide to great sex from my husband five years into our marriage. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Excuse me, sir. Oh, I have a funny My story. guess is that she <laughs> was not the problem. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it's her. So <laughs> figure out, mister. <laughs> her pleasure. I cannot. I know. <laughs> Brought to you by her pleasure. That's right. Her pleasure will help her and you. But yeah. um, okay, so I have similar story to that. Not that it happened to me, but it happened to one of my friends. Oh. That book was gifted to her by her mother-in-law. <laughs> so you know that the husband, her the had son had a was having a conversation. I know. I know. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> You don't want to have no. that. So awkward. So weird. And rude. And weird. And like also, <laughs> the mom shouldn't want to know. No. And to have the mom be like, I know. I will help my son. You know? Uh, nope. <laughs> Did well, I just like, ruin everything? <laughs> she. Okay. Oh, my Worst goodness. gifts. <laughs> Those are all the worst. The worst. I'm so sorry. I am. I will give you all better gifts yes. than that. Don't talk to your mother-in-law or your, your mom, mom about your sex life. Okay. Okay. Anyway, right, we, so, should, yeah. <laughs> we should probably wrap this up. Anyway, happy new year. <laughs> yes. And now let's get into the episode. <laughs> yeah. Mixers is a company made for women by women. Each of our products have been carefully and lovingly crafted to support you in all stages of your life, providing you with the optimal health you deserve. Each ingredient we handpick is 100% all natural, backed by science and chosen specifically to better your life physically, mentally, and hormonally. Each product empowers your body to take charge of its monthly hormonal shift and flows, empowering you to live life to the fullest. Let mixers take care of your needs from sunup to sundown, and you take care of the rest. Check us out at mixers.com, M-I-X-H-E-R-S. Dr. Rob, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you here so that our audience can finally meet you. I have several of our audience members who have reached out to me since I've had my explant surgery and have been asking me a lot of questions, follow-up questions to the previous episode we did with Candace Barley about breast implants. And I always refer them to you, but here you are. You get to talk to us directly. And so I'm so excited for you to say hello to our audience and tell us a little bit about, about yourself and why you're so passionate about this. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And I'm sorry we couldn't take care of you in Austin, but I, I <laughs> And uh, this started about seven years ago um, with a breast cancer patient of mine. My specialty was to take care of uh, cancer patients. So for a long period of time, I did a lot of reconstructive surgery and a very, very small amount of cosmetics. And uh, a patient came from Atlanta. And one of their reconstruction that was implant-based taken down and uh, made just a flat closure, which totally uh, got a common request, but one I've had and uh, certainly taken care of in the past. I did all of her consultative process with her workup, laboratory analysis, physical examination, and everything was quote-unquote normal, except for one uh, review of systems problem she had, which was a lot of fatigue, which many patients have undergone chemotherapy, radiation therapy, or just... Uh, 
dealt with those uh, stressful events, uh, they'll have, and certainly from your standpoint, there are a lot of a lot of hormonal issues that are responsible for fatigue. So it's not an uncommon you know, issue. So um, for the audience, when I take care of patients and I remove a reconstruction or a cosmetic device, I take all the scar tissue out around it because in a cancer case, you could have recurrent cancer around that device. Um, you could have recurrent cancer in the scar. There, there's just oncologic principles that are followed when I take care of that, as well as taking uh, care to culture the area where I take those materials out. So fast forward to how I do it for cosmetics. The term end block is used frequently, which basically means take it out entirely without disturbing it. That's what we're doing in our cases. And then we send our cosmetic cases off uh, for PCR analysis, which we can talk about later. And then I always apology because my background is rooted in making sure people don't get uh, cancer. It's amazing. And there's very few of you out there that are doing exactly what it is that you do. And I know that you are the the expert on breast implant illness and you have been teaching um, patients as well as other um, physicians about this being uh, something that is not just in our head, but is actually something real that we are dealing with. And, and so I appreciate, yeah, understanding that what it is and how you do things is very unique to you. And it's something that you're teaching others to do as well. But let's begin kind of at the beginning, because I know some of our audiences maybe not listened to the previous episode that I did with Candace Barley. Um, and today we're talking about breast implant illness, and we're going to be talking about how it could be affecting you. You could be experiencing some symptoms that you have never maybe connected the dots and realized that it could be connected to the implants that are in you. And so I do think, first of all, just understanding exactly what breast implant illness is in the first place and understanding where we're going with this conversation and then getting into the things that we should be asking if we do um, maybe wonder if it is something that we might be dealing with, um, asking the right questions, finding the right doctor, um, understanding what the right procedures would be, things that we should be knowing ourselves so we can feel empowered on this in this process. So first of all, if you wouldn't mind just explaining what breast implant illness is. So in acute inflammation, if you were to step off a curb and twist your ankle, your body and the cells in your body around that area would send out signals. That indicates, you know, there's a event, there's swelling, there's inflammation. And then as you heal, those signals diminish and ultimately you're turned off. But in a process like breast implant illness, I think of it as chronic inflammation. The medical device, the implant is one part of it, but it's so confusing to the providers, surgeons, other practitioners that may see you. It, it's because so many systems get affected. So you can neurologic symptoms. I was speaking to a patient today who clearly has got a problem with neural inflammation. She can't remember things. She has trouble finding uh, words to verbalize what she's experiencing. Um, you can have pulmonary symptoms, meaning you can get short of breath. You can have chest tightness. You can have arrhythmias, so your, your heart is racing. You can have what's called SVT. You can have extremity pain, so muscle pain, joint pain. You can have uh, neuralgias where you're getting neuropathic shocks in your extremities and your feet. You can have tremors, which uh, Candace, my patient advocate uh, who you've had on, has had. So you can understand, like this gets super complicated, super quick for somebody who's a general practitioner, someone who is a plastic surgeon who otherwise when they see you and they do your exam, everything appears normal. So that's right. what's... If you have normal blood work, then they're like... Their hands are go up in the air and they're like, um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I think it's incumbent upon us to just uh, obviously step back. And my patient I had seven years ago, ultimately had a breast implant infection. Okay. Super shocking to me because my sister's a breast cancer survivor and anybody who had missed an implant infection on her would have really pissed me off. So I went back and looked through all of my data and, and tried to understand how I'd miss somebody with a breast implant infection. Well, the problem with it is the bacteria is between your scar capsule and the implant. So there's a mm. tiny space in there. And bacteria that produce what's called a biofilm, which is a fancy little term for like a sugar coat, protects the bacteria from your immune system. So you can't attack it and take care of it. Mm -hmm. So then people ask, 
Why do you get this, Dr. Whitfield? So in my experience of over a thousand consecutively PCR tested, so everybody remembers PCR from pandemic, super sensitive DNA method to examine what's going on. About 30%, in my experience, have this problem. So they have a biofilm. And so that creates inflammation, obviously. And you have a device which is inflammatory because it's not your tissue, it's foreign. And then you have all these other things. So when you look at my program, strategically, it looks at food sensitivities, toxicities, genetic testing, so to understanding how you detox, uh, hormonal balance, gut microbiome health. So it's it's trying to get a big picture of what's going on because everybody asks me, do you have a test who can sort, that can sort this out for me? I'm like, the short answer is nobody has a test to sort it out, but I have a way to paint a picture to understand it better because I'm trying to look at it from a, like a, a, a larger overview than just one little spot or one little system or one little blood test because it's just, those blood tests haven't changed since I've been alive. Mm-hmm. There's... The things that have changed are the genome project, so we can understand genomics better. We certainly can understand functional genomics better. And what everybody's kind of missing is environmental toxicity and how that affects each person. You know, some people have a lot of difficulty with mold, say, for instance. Mold's probably the most underrepresented uh, culprit in this that I've ever seen. And people constantly get on the internet and think they have mold in their implants and they're, you know, doing all this stuff like a very TMZ worthy, but mm-hmm. that's not the case. It's less than, uh, you know, probably in my experience, six out of a thousand will have fungus. Really? It's a bacteria and it's bacteria that's found in the skin, Cutibacterium acnes. It's found in really high amounts in your face, skin, chest, neck, shoulders. So how does it get into or contaminate an implant surface? And so... For the audience, there's three ways to have a problem with an implant. Doesn't matter if it's hip, knee, breast, dental, cardiac, neurologic, doesn't matter. They're all foreign. And when you put them in, a staff member could contaminate it before they give it to the the person putting in the implant or the, the surgeon in this instance. The surgeon could contaminate it. But the predominant way somebody gets a contaminant is a bloodborne infection. Hmm. So somehow, skin break, skin infection urinary tract infection, infection in the GI tract, pulmonary infection, pneumonia, uri, whatever, cold, however we're going to characterize it. Now, all that has to do is get into your bloodstream and your bloodstream will carry it around, obviously, and it it will attach to a non-you surface because it can. That makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that you can't get it out because it doesn't matter how many antibiotics you treat somebody with, it's an implant. Mm-hmm. It's a really, you know, I've tried to make that pretty simple. It's a pretty complicated uh, discussion. And I've taken care of every single type of implant problem known to man almost in my over 20 some years of taking care of patients. And it's really trying to help other surgeons protect and preserve somebody's leg or a neurologic stimulator for somebody with Parkinson's or a movement disorder or a, you know, a pacemaker or something. I mean, these are all things you have to take care of right. in order to keep the patient uh, from having an event or, you know, potentially, you know, passing from something or having a, a really difficult quality of life for, um, you know, as, as, as we used to do all these different cases for cancer, just preservation. So, it is pretty complicated. I understand the complexity of it, and I can see why providers have difficulty with it. I also appreciate that obviously the patients are super confused because they don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. It leads to a lot of 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 angst by everybody involved, and then they'll come see me and I'll listen to them like, ah, you sound like you have mold, plus you have implants, plus you have this, and run through a program and try to create a very, very large you know, algorithmic approach to their treatment, which will help them better understand what's going on. And if they have a a caregiver there with them, it helps me because sometimes if they have certainly neural inflammation, they can't remember everything I'm seeing. And I don't, I don't make it complicated, but that is a hard thing for you to digest if you're having that problem. Right. 
I think you're doing a really great job of explaining such a complicated issue. And so I think it's so fascinating. And, you know, something that I think a lot of, like you said, not just patients, but there's a lot of doctors out there that don't fully understand this. And so the work that you're doing is so necessary. And I can say personally, that was me. I'm a holistic health practitioner. I'm a functional nutritionist. I'm somebody that has helped women who have been experiencing symptoms for many, many years. And truly, even as somebody that's helping other women, for me, I didn't really connect the dots of what was actually at the root. Instead, um, I was I was treating, you know, as if it was autoimmune, but like what was it that was possibly contributing to autoimmune um symptoms and things that they were dealing with? And so I love hearing that like the things that you do, the 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 consist like the whole process, it's a holistic approach really to the before and during and after surgery to really help understand and paint the picture, like you said, of what's actually happening with these women. Um, and then guiding them through that is just so important. And I know for me, I was frustrated because I was looking for answers, um, right. trying to depend on my own my own knowledge, but also going to several other practitioners and, and never once was anything. I had breast implants for 19 years and never once was this ever even thought of. And, um, and I'm not trying to fault these other practitioners. It's just interesting because I think we have been led to believe that implants are safe and that they, they don't have any negative consequences in our body. But logically, like you're saying, any type of foreign object that goes into the body, the body is recognizing it as a foreign object and it's going to do what it needs to do to protect you from it. And so, so you've kind of talked a little bit about how when the implant goes in, that there's this biofilm that goes around the device, right? And that that's a place where a lot of these pathogens can kind of harbor. Is that correct? So the the biofilm develops around the device and either it's at the time of insertion or contaminated by the staff, which are super low based okay. on surgical techniques. The most common way I would see it happening, how I feel it happens is it's through our environments. Mm-hmm. So we get an infection or we get a damage in our skin and it gets irritated, infected. Normally, you don't really have a problem with that if you have a good immune system. Yeah. But all it takes is a little bit. Or alternatively, and this is something that's concerning too, because women get a mastitis sometimes, you know, with breastfeeding. Or I've had people get mastitis who didn't breastfeed and then right. show up the to the office and you're like, I don't know what's going on with this. And, you know, my friends are breast surgeons, you know, they see obviously more of this than I would. So the breast itself has ducts that connect to the outside world through the nipple complex. So there's lots of ways for things to get, unfortunately, inside mm-hmm. instead of being outside. And that's, you know, yeah, our environments are not getting better. I always tell everybody, like, it, it's not getting safer out. It's getting more complicated. And you can't outrun a bad diet and you can't pick your parents. So you better be taking precautions in as many ways as possible to improve your air quality the fluid intake quality that you're taking in and your food quality. If you can address those three things and you're going to do a lot to lower your baseline inflammation. Right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I usually describe it like the bucket effect. You know, I feel like our bodies are very well designed to help handle toxic stress and toxic load. And they they know how to detoxify. But the fact is, is that, yeah, the world's not getting any cleaner. The environment's not becoming less toxic. It's becoming more and more so. And so we're just bombarded with a lot of toxins. And, and finally, our buckets um, kind of get to that overflow state. And that's when a lot of these symptoms start to rear their heads. And so I've had, you know, since I've had my breast implants out, there have been symptoms that I was dealing with for almost the entire time that I had them that I never thought were connected to the breast implants themselves and didn't expect that they would go away once I had them removed. And so this is something I would like to talk about because I feel like our listeners are going to be tuning in and maybe this is the first time they're hearing about breast implant illness or there's somebody, there are people that are experiencing symptoms and they've not connected the dots either. So I want to talk about some of the most common symptoms that some um, people are feeling and that maybe they should like if they if they are experiencing several of them, maybe they really need to look into whether it's connected to their breast implants. So some of the big ones for you, I'm sure you've got a lot. I mean, there's such a long list. Let's well, just say shoot out yours and we'll just go through them. Okay. 
<laughs> well, some of the ones I was surprised with, I mean, I was absolutely dealing with that adrenal fatigue, that chronic fatigue. I called it bone tiredness all the time. No matter how much sleep I got, I was always tired. Um, I was experiencing one to two severe migraines every single week. And I'm somebody that eats very well and takes care of supporting my body's detoxification processes and things like that. I was trying to do everything that I possibly could to support my body. Um, I was experiencing insomnia. I was experiencing brain fog. I was experiencing um, joint pain. Wasn't sure if maybe it was like arthritis, things like that, but never showed that that was the case. Um, I had like restless leg syndrome. Every single night I would be just, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't sleep very well because my legs felt so restless all the time. Um, I had something that I didn't even know at all, but as soon as I got out of the surgery, I have had ringing in my ears for a long time. I don't know when it all started, but for a long time. And as soon as I came out of surgery, the ringing in my ears is gone. Like I never, (laughs) I didn't expect that. And that was a great, you know, fun find. But yeah, I mean, are these some of the things that you're hearing and seeing with a lot of your patients? So I would start uh, with the neural complaints. So those are super common complaints and they're very specific. So when you have light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, uh, sometimes that ringing in the ear effect, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously that's neural inflammation. Big instigators of that can be chronic inflammatory processes like are associated with implants, but uh, mold is certainly a big one. Mm -hmm. And then if someone like you're describing what's happened over a long period of time. So as a, a specialist in women's health and hormones, you'll know that women have a lot of stress mm-hmm. and their cortisol is much, much higher and their estrogen obviously is higher if they're not postmenopausal. So these are the stress hormones and they're not buffered enough. And if you look at my clients, they have suppressed testosterone levels. Mm-hmm. So you can see how this gets from an autonomic nervous perspective. So you're, for the audience, like when you're in stress mode, those hormones go up. And then as you continue to be that way, you you reach adrenal kind of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And everything goes sideways, you know, once that happens and your circadian rhythm is going to fail, your sleep cycle will fail. You'll, you'll have tons of trouble. And we don't have an objective uh, thing. And I, I like to look at, deep sleep and HRV and all these things and people wear aura rings and I'm mm-hmm. not aura, but there's lots of biometric devices to wear to help you better understand why you're not getting better sleep. But when you have chronic inflammation, extreme stress, high cortisol levels, high estrogen levels, um, you're going to have that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. makes sense. So the the other is the muscle and joint pain. I mean, that's really chronic inflammatory in nature and it takes very little to cause that. And then the peripheral nervous system is a tremors, nerve pain, pretty routine. We see that. Um, so those are all very consistent. You know, I'm sure, you know, because you follow a better diet, you had less gut problems. I see a lot of people with tremendous gut issues and they don't know any better, even though they tell me they're drink, you know, they're they drink out of a you know metal uh, device, they don't uh, take in. So for the for the audience, I'm sorry. So um, BPAs and thyroid, right, they're not using the plastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. plastics mm-hmm. are extremely disruptive to the endocrine system of a woman. So it'll further throw off what's already a very delicate system. Mm-hmm. And then things like mold, obviously, are extremely disruptive. And then um, you know if if you look carefully at someone's GI tract, if they have a uh, gluten sensitivity or if they have uh, a really disrupted microbiome with extreme predilection towards parasite overgrowth or candida overgrowth or, or whatever the case may be, they're eating but not absorbing. Right. So it doesn't matter how well you're trying to eat. The fact is it just waves by and it goes out the other end because you can't absorb it if the lining won't help facilitate that for you. So like you mentioned genetics and so the vitamin D pathway, the methylation pathway, glutathione pathway, and the antioxidant pathways are the four main things we leverage through genetic testing and supplementation to support those. So my supplements for breast implant illness cases and my cases in general to optimize 
patients having surgery are liposomal, so I can avoid the digestive problems mm-hmm. best of our ability, especially my clients who face a lot of that. So you can, through liposomal formulations, so little drops in the mouth for everybody, uh, get better B vitamin absorption, glutathione, um, and antioxidants. Uh, that's a way to hack that. Mm-hmm. So you see, I'm sure much of your listeners are, are familiar with biohacking. That's the way I biohack that for my clients. And then we have to give them simpler things to absorb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give them a lot of, of uh, free amino acids and powder. It really just depends on everybody's sensitivities. If they're sensitive to stevia and monk fruit, you have to adjust your products so that they can manage it. So there's a lot that goes into what you know we do for our client, but we start by just optimizing them you know, through behavior and diet modification as soon as we can. Yeah. And I love that you do that, that you take that approach. Because I feel like um, the surgeon that I went to, I, I loved her. She was wonderful, but she didn't offer a lot of these kinds of services. Luckily, because of the field that I am in, I was able to order the right testing and things like that and do the, some of the similar things that you um, recommend to each of your patients. Um, and so we were able to do that aside, you know, Without her, necessarily, I would have loved to have had it all under one roof, but um, so important. So I love that you do that. And so I feel like it's really important for our listeners to understand that if you are looking to go and have your breast implants removed and you are looking for a surgeon, I think this is something really important that the surgeon is preparing you for the surgery in the first place and trying to see like the big picture, like you're saying, that's being painted, what's happening in the body currently for you. We're all going to be a little bit different, although there's some similarities that seem to be common through a lot of us that have had breast implants um, and see what's going on and then help address that, reducing some of the inflammation, understanding you know um, what, it, what you need as far as supplements are concerned um, and then nutritional protocols and whatnot. And then you know, then going from there into the surgery and then beyond. And so I, I love that. So you, you do genetic testing and then you also, what are some of the other tests that you recommend that people get before surgery when they're first meeting with a surgeon? Yeah, I, I wrote a book about our program. We'll come out next year, or actually this year. We're in the awesome. new year. Awesome. That's exciting. Great. Yeah. And so the the things are always genetics. And then we look at toxicities. So okay. we look at environmental toxins, mycotoxins, which are from molds. And then we look at heavy metals. And that mm-hmm. covers a pretty broad spectrum of things that affect us. Yeah. And we're always looking at, at new and, and better options. We look at chronic inflammatory markers. We look at the gut microbiome and then we look at IgG food sensitivities instead of IgM. So it gives you a better picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, you'll find a lot of things, some of them you don't want to know about your food or, you know, things that are going on. And, but people, I think if you can help, you know, just show them what is happening, mm-hmm. not everybody, but, most of them will be interested in making the changes necessary to help that. Some won't quite gather at all, but I think with time, you have to embrace the fact that the food you eat, the air you breathe, and the the fluids you take in play such a major role in how you feel day to day. And then if you have, and I'll say something, you know, uh, you'll appreciate this, but if you had poor energy, and I don't mean energy from a, standpoint, but more like a chi. If, if you don't have it together and you're constantly in a stressed out state, mm-hmm. it's going to be very hard for you. Yeah. So that is a a goal of ours through our program pre-op is to really lower you know, the, the, the stressed out state as much as we can by giving you a plan, helping you understand the plan, prepping you for the, the treatment, whatever that you know entails for you. And then providing support for the year after that with our team. And we do uh, detox with Cellcore. We partner with them based on what we find on certain um, studies. And, and, and we try to be as uh, comprehensive as possible and supportive as possible because it is a, 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 it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, once you get to the other side, like you are now, I think you can appreciate it was worthwhile and, and you know, if we can make it more efficient, we're always you know, working hard at my clinic to try to do that. I have a great team. I mean, certainly it's not me doing everything. I, have a, I think I have 25 employees now. And uh, 
they take great care of all the people. We have hyperbaric oxygen in my office, a lymphatic masseuse, a lymphatic device from Balancer Pro, every other kind of thing you can have, red light therapy and radio frequency therapy and I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff I can't remember right now, but I, um, it's amazing. It is. It's very amazing, and that's what I'm talking about when you are when we're saying it's a holistic approach. You're you're not just removing the implants. You are literally helping to support the body in all ways. And so I think that was very important um, for me. And when I when I was going through this process and I was interviewing different surgeons, you being one, I paid for the consultation. I definitely wanted to learn from you and understand exactly what it is that I should be doing. Um, I did follow. You, you were not willing to do the surgery. Um, you were like, we have to have you go through this protocol for at least four months. I loved that you said that. I know that could probably be frustrating for some people because they just want to have the implants removed. But I was appreciative of that because I thought, you know, that's that's important because in order for t- to set me up for success, I did need to do everything I possibly could to prepare my body for. It's a major surgery. It was very more, and it was way more intense than getting the implants in. The recovery was a lot more, um, you know, just everything seemed, and and I am older, I'm 19 years older than when I got the, you know, the implants in the first place, but I, I was appreciative of that advice. And then, um, and then the aftercare, um, it was been, it's been very helpful as well. So I, I did the testing that you had recommended. I followed a similar protocol, like an anti-inflammatory protocol. And then after the surgery, I did do follow-up testing and things like that. And, you know, continued on with the, um, supporting my body with its, um, anti-inflammatory and detoxification protocols and things like that. And it was, it was very interesting to me and it was empowering. Like you were just mentioning to see it, like to see these tests, the before and the after to know that, this was real. These symptoms that I was experiencing, absolutely not everything was connected to the breast implants. Not like removing them solved all of all of the issues, but they were a big contributor to a lot of the things that I was suffering with. And so when I was retesting and noticing um, the inflammatory markers way down, I mean, there's just so many things. And then just the fact that the, some of the symptoms that I was dealing with on a consistent basis had um, disappeared. Everything like that alone, that made it all worth it going through the explant surgery. I don't have any regrets and I would recommend it to anybody that is um, that has breast implants, whether or not you are experiencing breast implant illness symptoms or not. You know, I think that it's something that as women, we need to know that um, having these devices into our body is not necessarily doing as good. I know that it's kind of controversial because I know that the implants can help with like self-esteem, help us feel a little bit more feminine and womanly, but I just feel like I would love it for women to not feel like they need to do such drastic measures in order to feel like that in the first place. So that's why I'm having this episode here. I just want to, I want to have the conversation. I want women to feel educated and then feel empowered. I would say that like your listeners should focus on the end game and not the short term. I would tell you that the majority of the concerns after surgery are the appearance changes. Mm. And so if you were super small and you had surgery to uh, have an augmentation and increase volume, when that's taken down and you don't add any volume back, so you're going to have some reversion back to that norm, whatever that was for you, plus you're going to have whatever issues uh, are re- are created by the treatment of the muscle in that area. Mm-hmm. Everybody naturally has a muscle in place to help protect their rib surfaces. And a lot is written about uh, repairing muscles. I can tell you I do this literally eight to 10 times a week. And in a, a striking number, I can't do anything with a muscle because there's no real muscle left to do anything with. It could look so like a bacon. So I would really caution the audience when someone says they can absolutely repair your muscle because it's absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. I'm so glad that you brought that up because for me, (laughs) absolutely. I had my implants, you know, they were um, under the muscle and the surgery itself. I know it's usually what a two, two and a half hour surgery. It was five hour surgery for me just to remove the the left implant because um, so much damage had been done and the implant had adhered to rib cage and, you know, underarm tissue and all of that. And so 
and, and then you're, when you're trying to recover and you're wrapping and unwrapping, and we don't use drains in my practice. We haven't mm. for about three years now, four years, whatever it is. And I can tell you and your audiences the, the kind of psychological ramifications, right? So in the course of healing, a mindset standpoint has to be taken that I'm going to get better. And as these, I call them 90-day intervals, as they roll off, you're going to do better. Yeah. And the fallacy is that everybody's going to wake up from surgery and have this epiphany and feel great. Yeah. So that's not true. No, it's not true. Although the the ringing in the ears did stop immediately. Yeah. So that was interesting. So when but yeah. someone has a lot of really increased inflammation from infection or like you're experiencing something that you can then take away. Like I've had a skin reaction go away on table after I'd done someone's surgery. As yeah. I'm doing it, it goes away. Wow. So you can have those specific instances, but I would just... I would caution everybody, like, this is not to be taken lightly. It is a procedure. It is involved. And you have to recover and have yourself prepared, have surgery, and have a plan for recovery in order to do and get, you know, if you will, the best possible outcome. Yeah. And that's that's what we're like psychologically. I have a lot of people who get really distraught. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. And Amanda Savage Brown wrote a book about it. She had an explanation. She's a psychologist. It's called Busting Free. And and she explains it really well about, you know, your perception, right? Why did you do this? Mm -hmm. And then now we're having all these feelings afterwards that are, you know, as problematic as the ones that, you know, started the whole process. So that's the hardest part for us to really navigate with with our patients and you know we want to be supportive and everything but you have to give yourself mm. you have to be patient with yourself you do you, do. you have to be patient and understand that it's it's the long haul and you know as i can say that from a year out i absolutely every month i feel like that has passed since the surgery has i felt better and better and better and have been so grateful um, and luckily, you know, I wasn't, I, I actually like the appearance of my breasts more now than I did when I had the implants. I know that that can be a concern like you're talking about with a lot of women that maybe don't. And so I loved learning from you too, that, um, that there are some solutions for women that, you know, maybe are worried about they're going to end up with the rock in the socks kind of situation, you know, with their breasts afterwards as once the implants have been removed. So do you mind just sharing some of the things that are available for women after surgery? Sure. So the traditional and first filler in the world is fat. Mm. It's not hyaluronic acid like you've probably been shown on TV. So fat, you know, when taking the, uh, you know, in the way we do it, we use a specific system now. Um, we collect it, uh, protect it, and then we, at the end of the case, place it, um, but in the right spaces. So everybody can remove fat. Um, the I use the Wells Johnson uh, fat transfer system, which I I really enjoy for for taking care of our patients with uh, who need more volume after surgery. Mm -hmm. It's a much more controlled, safe delivery mechanism uh, for fat. I I did syringe based fat transfers, you know, from starting in the nineties, really, uh, which just makes me sound old. But that <laughs> um, that is the way everybody who started out, who's from my era had to start because there were no other right. uh, sophisticated tools or techniques. And now we have all our own instrumentation and all these new systems and everything to, to help the patient outcome. So when you take it and we contain it, um, we're not ever exposing it. So that's a really low incidence of problems like an infection or something like that. That shouldn't, you know, should almost never happen. And then when you place it, um, everybody needs to understand where fat belongs. So fat belongs beneath the skin, but above the breast. Mm -hmm. So that's not where the implant is. Mm -hmm. The implant's either behind the breast or behind the muscle that's behind the breast. So mm -hmm. I don't put it back where I took the implant out because it won't heal there. 
So that ends up being a little bit, you have to grapple with that concept. Think of a shirt pocket on a shirt. You put it in the shirt pocket, and when the pocket can no longer expand, you have to stop. Shoving more things in the pocket doesn't help. Mm-hmm. And fat, yep. is not, fat is not like a hyaluronic acid filler. Right? You just keep putting cc's of filler in someone's face and they just start looking abnormal because it's too much. Right. Can't do that in the breasts. So you have to have enough experience and understanding the skin when it stretches the compartment you're working with, which is that space I described, mm-hmm. and then how much collection and volume you can put back. And that's there's not some, you know, beautiful mathematic equation I can give you and your audience. I've done thousands of them. That's yeah. a little simpler for me. Well, and I would suggest, and we'll put all of the ways that our audience can connect with you in our show notes, but go and look at um, Dr. Rob's Instagram. I, I, It's so fascinating. It's very educational. I mean, you really do show um, a lot of befores and afters. And I felt like it gave me a lot of confidence seeing like, okay, it's not maybe going to have to be as bad as I was imagining the results would be after my surgery. Um, I did not end up getting a fat transfer, but I did know that it was an option. And it was something that if I did fill after a year or so and things aren't looking the way I wanted, it's an option and it's a healthier option if I felt like I needed more filling there and it's a safe option. And it's somebody, you know, going to somebody like you that has the experience um, and knows how to do it the right way, I'm sure that is so important as well. So. Yeah, it's a straightforward process. <laughs> the the things I hear written about it are just odd. So for the for the listeners, sorry. So if I were to do a fat transfer on somebody who just came in and wanted larger breasts and they're thirty ish and they just had kids and they're done having kids and they want you know their version. I don't do mommy makeovers anymore because I don't place breast implants. I haven't for several years. Yes. Um, and I don't do tummy tucks anymore because I dislike the scar really. So I have what's called a holistic mommy makeover. So I'll just take fat from all the different areas. And if they want a, a breast rejuvenation, or I used to do buttocks, I really don't do that much anymore. I just refer those out if they want that. Um, I concentrate on the breast rejuvenation and body sculpting with or without skin tightening. So if you're a mom who's had kids or if you've lost a bunch of weight or whatever the issue is, when we're older and our hormones start to change, our metabolic rate changes and it becomes harder. Um, and I'm sure you've discussed this on many of your shows. It's not so much that uh, I'm the problem in this equation, but everybody keeps changing in my life, right? So mm-hmm. each patient is a different, you know, complex yeah. issue. So they have their own hormones, they have their own toxicities, they have their own diets, they have their own stressors. So my job is to take all that and make it a level playing field. So mm-hmm. you want your hormones balanced, you want your diet on point. And once those criteria are met and your toxicity is evaluated and you've worked on these other things, then it becomes much easier for me to take care of you and do a fat transfer. Now, if you start off with a really bad tox test, really bad genetics in a poorer way, I'm going to tell you no. Mm-hmm. I love that. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's just, it's going to be something that's going to be much, much harder for you. So in that instance, no, no bridges are burned, just like in your case. If you called me up in, in mm-hmm. two months, two years and said, hey, I'm interested in this now, fine. it's totally fine. Yeah. No, and I love that. And I appreciate that so much. And it makes me trust you so much more, right? This is why I feel confident in, in having you here on the show and then also recommending you to so many people who are reaching out and asking me about my experiences because um, you, you're you very honest. You're very... You ask the right questions. You, you're you not like just rushing to get people under the knife, which I feel like um, tends to be the case a lot, you know, with a lot of plastic surgeons, especially. I know when I got my implants... Um, I met with my surgeon one time before and you know what I mean? And there was no follow-up. I literally, you know, it was just a crazy back in 2004, you know, this is how this was being done. And I've talked to now so many women who have had a similar experience. And so I, that's why I think I feel like I appreciate so much that you're going to not only as the patient going to test in, like get to know you and, and decide whether you're the right fit for them. You do the same thing with your patients. And I feel like that is that shows a lot of integrity and I it makes me trust a doctor like you so much more. Thank you. It's hard to 
Like I didn't like operating on younger patients. Most people get augmentations when they're young and trying to have a conversation about a medical device that's implanted in their body that's going to be there X number of years, whether or not it's for cancer, this is a complicated Mm-hmm. discussion. So giving someone, you know, informed consent, I know there's a lot of complaints about this. I think um, I purposefully didn't do that. And I, of course, I had a cancer background. So I wasn't always uh, faced with that, where a lot of uh, plastic surgeon are faced with dealing with very, very young patients and mm-hmm. trying to have a discussion with them and and try to lay it out. And then I, I see the feedback, I hear the feedback. And I think, um, yeah, think of, think of what your mind was like when you were 18. Mm-hmm. Or 20, 25. You know, everybody asks me, they try to pin me down all the time. Would you let your daughter get implants or your wife get implants? And I was like, well, uh, the short answer is my daughter's a Leo like me. And <laughs> I, I can it. explain it. Yeah. So that she understands it and understands. I know her genetics and how she detoxes and everything. And I think you just have to like understand that people are going to do what they're going to do, no matter That's what true. I say. Mm-hmm. And the the biggest thing I can tell you is I tell people no a lot. So that's ultimately, yeah. you know, I would just say, you know, here's the information. My opinion, not a great idea. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. I mean, people, I and I want those that are listening. I have so many people that I work with, talk with every single day um, that are in my life that have known what I've been going through and who still have the breast implants or who have gotten breast implants even since. And it's such a personal decision. And I don't want anyone listening today to think that there's judgment. You do what you think is best for you. Absolutely. My goal of every episode of this show is to just give you the information so that you can feel empowered to make the best decisions for your health, for your happiness on your own and to find the right experts that are out there so that they can help guide you. And so, so yeah, I, I, I feel like you're right. Everybody's going to have to decide for their own, but now they have a lot of great, great information and great resources through you and hopefully through this show as well. So thank you so much. This has been super informative. I know there's so much more that we're going to want to go into. Um, and so hopefully maybe we can have you back another time, but this was a really good, like foundational understanding exactly what breast implant illness is, what it could look like and what we should be asking, um, as we're considering going through explant surgery, um, all of this is so helpful and so, so empowering. So thank you so much. Um, is there anything else that you want to leave with the audience before we say goodbye? So I, I think everybody, I guess for 2024, try to concentrate on, you know, getting your energy right and lowering your your stress. And then, you know, if you need to give me a call, um, you can find me at Breast Implant Illness Expert or at breastimplantillnessexpert.com. I love it. Absolutely. That's my, that is my goal for this year as well. Just calm down and stress less. So thank you so much. All right. For all of you that are uh, listening today, we always appreciate having you here. If you found that this episode was helpful for you, please know that sharing is caring. So share this with the girls in your life because knowledge is power. So until next time, I hope you all have a very happy and healthy week. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.